Take our Bibles to Romans chapter number 5. Romans chapter 5 will be there in a few minutes, and we're going to look at some verses. We've been doing a series. Today is our final week, seven weeks on My God Is, and we've looked at the attributes of God. Thank God that we serve a God who is knowable and wants us to know Him. We serve a God who is holy. We serve a God who is justice. We serve a God that is so many things in our lives. And my whole goal over the past seven weeks is that we would just open up our eyes and turn our eyes to Him. You know, I'm, I, let's see how I want to word this, how I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it, but I just want to see if I can word it carefully for you this morning. All our world does today, media, news, politics, it's all fear. I saw a statistic last night. Do you know in the United States this year, 480,000 people are going to die from something in this country this year? Do you know that? 480,000 people. Say, so what are they going to die from? It's not COVID. Smoking. Go to the CDC website. 480,000 people die a year from smoking. Why don't we ban cigarettes then? We're 216,000 have died from COVID or so they say. Why don't we get rid of cigarettes? It's an honest question, isn't it? I think it's an honest question. We're not supposed to go to church. We're not supposed to sing in church. More people will die from cigarette smoking this year. My whole goal in this series is that you would get your eyes off of everything this world's trying to push at you. You just get your eyes on Jesus. Past few weeks, I've talked politics in church, giving you some handouts. I did it a certain way on purpose because we're two weeks out from an election coming up, and I'm done talking about it. I already did my piece. You know what we need to focus on? We need to focus on the Lord and worshiping Him and praying to Him. That's what our focus needs to be. Say, so why the series? So we get our eyes on Him. This world will do its best to mess us up and to get us focused on the wrong thing. And this is the sad thing, Christian. Most Christians get focused on the wrong thing. Our focus should be to love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our strength, that's the first and great commandment. And the second unto is to love thy neighbor as thyself. That's what we should be focused on instead of everything else that we're focused on today. I hope that as, and this is the thing, you already know everything I've talked about about God. I don't think anything's been new over the past seven weeks. And maybe there's been something that's been reminded in your mind a little bit better. But you already knew these things. Say, why preach it? So you might put them in the forefront of your mind and get your focus on him. That's what Christianity needs today. Because at the end of the day, whoever is president in two weeks isn't going to save things. He's the one. If your hope is in the White House or in this government of Sacramento, got no hope. No matter who wins, there's no hope. No hope. Now, there's a better choice out of the two, and I've already explained all that, and we're not going to talk about that. All of our hope's up there. Get your eyes on him. Focus on him. Maybe some of you, the next couple weeks, do you good. Quit, look, quit watching the news. Quit watching all these things. And why don't you get in this book? Ooh, yeah. Get in this book. We haven't even started yet. We're going to talk about God's love today. I say, why would you save God's love for the final week of the sermon series? Everyone thinks they understand and know God's love. People do. Even those who aren't Christians claim to know. God, God is love. We have a lovable God. God wouldn't send anyone to hell because he loves everybody. Problem is, everyone has a wrong concept of God's love. God's love is not easily understood. 
We might like the attribute, but we don't understand it completely. Now, if you're here this morning, you say you understand all there is to know about God's love, then I'm going to sit down with my wife, and you come up, and you preach the message this morning, okay? None of us fully have a grip on it. Some kids were asked about love, and this was some of their responses. Kids said, love is when a girl puts on perfume, and a boy puts on cologne, and they go out and smell each other. That was pre-COVID, okay? Another child said, love is like an avalanche where you have to run for your life. Another child said, love is the most important thing in the world, but baseball's pretty good too. Another young man said, once I'm done with kindergarten, I'm going to find me a wife. Another child said, I'm not rushing into being in love. I'm finding fourth grade hard enough. Another kid said, it gives me a headache to think about that stuff. I'm just a kid. I don't need that kind of trouble. Another kid, love will find you even if you are trying to hide from it. I've been trying to hide from it since I was five, but the girls just keep finding me. The last one here this morning, you really shouldn't say I love you unless you mean it. But if you mean it, you should say it a lot. People forget and it's good for them to be reminded. God says he loves you a lot and says it over and over again. And it's good for us to be reminded of the fact because we do forget. I initially, as I was preparing this message, thought that preaching on the love of God would be the easiest one out of all the messages on the attributes of God. But love may be the best-known attribute, but I do believe it's the least understood. I feel how A.W. Towser, what he wrote, he said this about God's love. It is, it's like trying to take the ocean in your arms or embracing the atmosphere. I can no more do justice to this awesome and wonder-filled topic than a child can grasp a star. Still, by reaching towards the star, the child may be call attention to it and even indicate the direction one must look to see it. And so, I stretch my heart towards the high, shining love of God. No one can do it, so I suppose I must do the best I can and trust the Holy Spirit to make up for my human lacking. Because it's difficult to define and describe the love of God, I want to show you Paul's prayer for the church at Ephesus found in Ephesians chapter number 3. Paul said this for the believers, there for this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole, he whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he might grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, and depth, and height. And to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all fullness of God. Paul says in that passage there, that the love of Christ, it passes knowledge. It's so great. We sing songs in church, amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? How marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love me. Love lifted me. When nothing else could help, it was his love that lifted me. We sing many songs about the love of God. One of my favorites, an old one, the love of God, could we with ink the ocean fill, and were the skies of parchment made, where every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. 
nor could the scroll contain the whole or stretch from sky to sky. That third verse of the love of God, that song, was found written on a jail cell where the words were found in the 1700s. He loves you today. I'm going to do my best, but my best isn't good enough. We need the Lord's help this morning. Father, we come to you this morning. What a topic, your love. Thank you for your love. Pray that, Holy Spirit of God, you would work in our hearts and our lives today and help us with, this pa- with a passage we're going to look at today. Help us to comprehend the breadth, the length, the depth, and the height. And to understand your love a little better this morning. We love you. We need you. We praise your precious name. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Our culture thinks they know what love is all about. Our culture focuses on romantic and brotherly love. But God's love is not like the love of this world. God's love is not a fondness love that one minute he likes you and the next minute he doesn't like you anymore. His love is not a romantic love where the romance could go away and it just disappears over time. God's love, in the, it's an agape love, an unconditional love. That's the love our God has for us. I went through my Bible program on my laptop and found references to God's love 745 times. His loving kindness, His loving mercy, His love. So if you take your shoes off and relax, we're going to spend the next three hours going through all 745 of them. And some of you are thinking, would you do that? Just relax a little bit. For a Christian, it should be okay to do that. But some of you fall asleep after 30 minutes, so I'm not going to do three hours, all right? Let me give you a few verses this morning. We'll be to Romans 5 in a couple of minutes. The Bible says in Psalm 36, verse number 7, How excellent is thy loving kindness, O God. Psalm 63, 3, because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. Psalm 119, 76, let I pray thee thy merciful kindness, means the same as his loving kindness, be for my comfort according to thy word unto thy servant. Isaiah 38, verse number 17, behold, for peace I have great bitterness. But thou hast in love to deliver my soul, delivered it from the pit of corruption, for thou hast cast all my sins behind thy back. Hosea 14.4, I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely, for mine anger is turned away from him. Zephaniah 3.17, yes, Zephaniah is in the Bible. The Lord thy God is in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save He will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in his love. He will joy over thee with singing. 2 Thessalonians 3, 5. And the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patient waiting for Christ. 1 John 3, verse number 1. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore, the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. 1 John 4, 8, He that loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love. God is love. Hey, in this service, we've got a lot of young people in this room, teenagers, young adults. Let me encourage you this morning. Before you tell someone that you love them, Get to know the God of love. When you know God, he will teach you how to love and strengthen and encourage your love. God is love. The Bible says, he that knoweth not, knoweth not God. He that loveth not, knoweth not God. God is love. A world-renowned theologian was asked, 
what he considered to be the most significant theological truth he ever encountered in all the world. This is his reply. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. So simple, yet so profound. Probably one of the most famous verses in all the Bible. For God so loved the world. And yet, how many Christians say, God, do you really love me? Hey, if you loved me, you would do this. We sound like our kids, right? Hey, Mom and Dad, if you really loved me, you would buy me that new game. Hey, if you really loved me, that PlayStation 5, you would get that for me. Or the new Xbox, if you loved me, you would get that for me. And you look around, and you're like, hey, I'll give you a place to live. I'll give you food. I'll provide everything for you. I've showed you my love. My love is not based on one little thing, but we do the same thing to God. And God says, I've loved you with an everlasting love. His love never ends. His love never began. Think about that part. He's always loved you. Before the foundation of the world, he knew Jesus would die. He loved you. He loved you. Take a little bit of time this morning and just talk about God's love. But before we do that, I want to talk about some things that our world says about God's love that are simply not true. I'll give you two thoughts this morning. First one is this. People have this idea, because God loves me, I can do whatever I want. That's our world's philosophy. Because God loves me, I can just live my life however I please. Some people use God's love as a license to do whatever they want. You know, we say, we live in America. I have the freedom to do anything I want. Go drive 100 miles an hour on the freeway and see if you got the freedom to do that. You've done it before? Oh, Tony, Tony. I wasn't preaching at you there, but the Holy Spirit led me to say that, so he must have been thinking about you. I don't know. But that's never again. You learned your lesson, right? You learned your lesson there. Did, did they say, oh, you get a free pass? You get to do whatever you want. No. Well, you got to understand something. Just because God loves you doesn't mean you can live and do as you please. You say, well, pastor... I love God too. Well, the Lord said how we know if you love God. There's a, there's a test. Are you ready? Let's see if you, how many of you say you love God? Would you raise your hand? I would hope everybody's hands up in the room. Now, I don't want you to raise your hand here. Was everyone, I hope your hand was up. If you're here this morning and you don't love God, I wouldn't be here, you know? You look around, why are you in church today? I'm here because I love God. That's what's important. If you're here and you don't love God, go home. Don't get germs in this room. Don't get germs. Save yourself, okay? But you all say you love God. Now I'm going to ask you a test. Here's a test. One question, okay? Jesus, Jesus said it. John 14, 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. Don't raise your hands. This is not the time to raise your hand, okay? Do you really love him? Because if you do, you do what he tells you to do. You live the way this book tells you to live. Words are easy to say, aren't they? But we really know if our words mean something by our actions. The first lie that this world, or wrong idea that this world has is that because God loves me, I can do whatever I want. The second one is this. God's love means everyone will go to heaven. A loving God would not send anyone to hell. God is not willing that anyone go to hell. But he gives everyone a choice. I think some people think, oh, God's just going to wink at and be like, you know what? You've been a good person. You're okay. Jesus died. Suffered our penalty on the cross. And the Bible tells us in Acts 4, Verse number 12, it says, Neither is there salvation in the other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby ye must be saved. I love this 
It says Jesus loves you just the way you are, but he loves you too much to let you stay the way you are. And his love, that you, there's other passages, and I want you to see Mark chapter 10 and verse 21. Look what it says about Jesus. Jesus comes to this guy, and Jesus beholding him loved him and said to him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. The verse continues there. In the very next verse, the guy got sad and said, and he was sad at that saying and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. And Jesus loved him enough to tell him what he needed. But the guy wasn't willing to give it up. God's love never compromises his truth. And may I just remind you this morning, the Bible says that Jesus has the power to forgive sins on earth. When you're not on earth anymore, your sin cannot be forgiven. It must be done now. That's why the Bible says now is the day of salvation. Don't wait. Don't play games with it. Do it God's way. But our world is very quick to say that God's love means I can live how I want or God's love means everyone goes to heaven. That's simply not true. What is God's love? What is love? Human love is generally a response to conditions and circumstances around us. That's how our love works. Let's tell the truth real quick. Someone cuts you off. Do you love that person? Someone calls you a mean name. Do you love that person? No. Why would I love that person? Do you love your enemy? They're my enemy. Do you love the governor? No. That's human love. God does. God loves those who don't think the same as he does. God loves those who might be a little different than you're accustomed to. God loves those whose skin color is different than your skin color. God loves sinners. Jesus, over and over again, do you remember how the Pharisees got so upset with him? He was eating with sinners. How could you be eating with sinners? Pharisees didn't forgot something. That's who they were as well. What is love? God loves us because of the kind of God he is, period. Nothing in us caused God to love us. We were unlovable. We'll talk more about that in just a minute. Let me talk about God's love, and then we'll get to Romans chapter 5. You've got your Bible still there. We're going there. Don't worry. We use seven characteristics of God's love. Number one. God's love is self-giving. God's love is self-giving. Another way of saying it, love is a verb. It's an action. God's love is self-giving. The Bible talks about, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we call it the love chapter. The King James, it uses the word charity. It's talking about the agape love. Charity suffers long and is kind. Charity it envies not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. It does not behave itself. And similarly, do you see how there's all these actions behind the love? Seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked. Love, it thinks no evil. Love rejoices not in iniquity, but it rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. And love endures all things. You see how there's an action behind love. We often say, hey, I love you. What actions do you show behind it? There must be, and that's how God's love is. God's love is self-giving. He gave of himself for us. For God so loved the world, what do you do? He gave his very best. Secondly, God's love is sacrificial. His love is sacrificial. Jesus bore our sin and our shame and our suffering on the cross. His love cost him something. We want love that costs us nothing. 
Love is sacrificial. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Your love for God should cost you some things. It should. And his love is sacrificial. The Bible tells us 1 John 4.10, here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. Hey, church, why do we love God? Because he first loved us, right? That's what the Bible says. That's not really what love is. What real love is, is the fact that he loved us and sent his son to be the payment, the propitiation for our sins. That's love. Us loving him because he loves us, that's not true love. Love is what he's done for us. His love is sacrificial. I love this. His love is unconditional. I'm glad that God's love isn't based on what I do. It's not. Yes, I need to live for him, and we've talked about that, but God's love is unconditional. We'll talk in a few minutes from Romans 5. You'll see some things. But God's love was extended to us even when we don't deserve it. That's why it's hard for us to understand God's love. Because we like to love people when they deserve our love. We don't like to love people when they don't deserve it. But God's love never changes. It's always the same. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 7 and 8, The Lord did not set his love upon you, nor choose you because you are more in number than any people. For you are the fewest of all the people, but because the Lord loved you, and because he would keep the oath which he has sworn to your fathers, hath the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. I love that there. Why did God choose it? Why did he love Israel? Not because they were worthy of his love. <laughs> I've had someone ask me a while back, why, did, why are the Jews God's people? Why does, they're not good people. He didn't choose them based on how they were. He loved them because he's God. He didn't choose to love you because of who you are. You might think you're the most wonderful person in the world. Let's be honest this morning, you're not. Neither am I. But because he's God, he loves us. His love's unconditional. Next, God's love is eternal. We can't understand that. I'm 34, 35 now, 35, woo, getting old, 35. I can't grasp eternity. The Bible tells us in Jeremiah 31, 3, yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. He's always loved you. Before time ever began, he knew you would live now. And he loved you. His love's eternal. Next, his love is holy. Since God is holy, um, then his love must also be a holy love. And that's why he expects holiness out of his people. So what are you talking about, Pastor? Hebrews 12, verse number 6. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. And some of you in the room are like, man, God must really love me. They're like, he chastens me a lot. But he loves us. He loves you enough to correct you. God's love is comforting. There's nothing more comforting than knowing that you're loved. If you were to go around in our world today, there are two things that every person wants. Two things every teenager wants. Two things everybody wants. Love and acceptance. That's what people want. They want to be loved and accepted. That's everywhere. You're loved with God, and you're accepted by him. It's a comforting thought. Sometimes we have a hard time in life being comforted because we feel like no one loves us. Or someone that used to love us doesn't love us anymore. God's love is comforting because he will always love you. So even when I do wrong, even when you do wrong, he still loves you. We'll always love you. God's love is comforting. And then, number seven, God's love is life-changing. I read it earlier. We love him. Why? Because he first loved us. 
loved you with. If you're there in Romans chapter number 5, I want you to look at these verses. And these verses are some of the clearest verses in the New Testament about the love of God. Verse number 6 tells us, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet preadventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Verse number 9 says, Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies we are reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more being reconciled, we, have, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. Four descriptions of us are displayed from verse 6 through verse number 10. The first thing that it says about our condition, verse number 6, for when we were without strength. So think about this, church. We were weak. If you don't have strength, that means you're weak. That's used in the Bible of someone who's sick and feeble, those who have been wiped out by some kind of disease. And it's also used in a moral sense as an inability to do what needs to be done. We're weak. Secondly, we see our condition. Look at what it says there, the end of verse number, two, uh, number six. In due time, Christ died for the ungodly. We're weak, we're ungodly. Look at verse number eight. But God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We're weak, we're ungodly, we're sinners. And verse number 10 even says, for if when we were enemies, before salvation, get this with me this morning, before salvation, we were weak, we're ungodly, we're sinners, and we're his enemy. It's the four things listed there. And yet, being weak, being ungodly, being sinners, being his enemy, and yet, think about this, there is no good reason for God to love you and me. In fact, these are reasons why he shouldn't love us. We're weak, we're ungodly, we're sinners, and we're his enemy. We're not lovable. Sin makes us unlovable. Sin uglifies everything it touches. And if uglifies isn't a word, I just made a new word. If you find that discouraging this morning, remember this. If God loved you only when you were lovable, then when you stop being lovable, God would stop loving you. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. See, the wonder this morning as we look at this is, th is this fact. The wonder is not the fact that Christ died for us, but that while we were weak, while we were ungodly, while we were sinners, and while we were his enemy, he died for us. That's what his love is all about. It wasn't based on what we could become. It was based on who we were. If you're a believer this morning, you're struggling with the love of God, remember, if God loved you enough when you were weak, when you were his enemy, when you were ungodly, when you were a sinner, if he loved you then, how much more does he love you today as one of his children? He loves you, and thank God for that. But the, to comprehend his love is not that we deserved it, but he died and he loved the unlovable. Man choose to sin. God didn't choose for man to sin. Yet he still loves us. In that while we were yet sinners, that's his love. Christ died for us. As they were mocking him, as they ridiculed him, as they said, crucify him. He's not our king. What did he say? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. That's his love. That's the love of Christ. It's unconditional. It doesn't matter what you've done, where you've been. He loves you. That's his love. 
And that's hard for us to comprehend. Because we like to love when people are good to us. We don't like to love the unlovable. We don't like to love someone who's different than us. But that's what the Bible tells us about him. God's unconditional love. He loves you today. That's why the Bible tells you, as Paul tells us, for I'm persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. His love's unconditional. Church, how should we respond to his love? I'm going to give you a few thoughts and we'll be done today. Biblical love always leads to action. Love is always incomplete alone. It requires some sort of movement. It's impossible to say you love someone without demonstrating that love in tangible ways. What are we to do in response to God's love? Well, number one, we're to love him wholeheartedly. The Bible tells us Matthew 22, Jesus said this, said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, for this is the first and great commandment. Love him with everything you got. What should be my response to God's love? To love him. Number two, love your neighbors. To love your neighbors. The next verse says, and the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Christians, let me give you a little thought right here before we go any further. Christianity's got this all backwards today. Heard of a pastor in Georgia, big church, big church. I'm not going to name the church or the guy, anything like that. But he decided that their church will not open up till February or March of next year because of COVID, because they choose to follow the biblical command to love thy neighbor as thyself. That's not the first commandment. First commandment is to love God with everything that you have. And I've had some people tell me in the past, Pastor, maybe it'd be better if we didn't meet for church because we'd be a good testimony to all those around us. Um, I think you're being a good testimony by being in God's house this morning, showing that you love him. Do you realize something this morning? I didn't make you come. You're not here because I made you come. You chose to come. That's on you. You chose to wear a mask or not wear a mask. That's on you. So you can force me. I'm not going to. Are you little children that you need me to force you? You're, you're big boys and big girls. You do what God leads you to do, okay? Not my job to babysit you. I have enough problems as a pastor with myself. I don't need to babysit you. And some of you, I do have to babysit at times. We won't talk about who you are. But why, you know, why are you here today? I think you'd say because you love God. I hope that's your reason for being here. Pastor would be mad if I didn't come to church. That's a stupid reason to go to church. Stupid might not be a good word, but it fits there. I would think you come to church because you love God. So are we being a good testimony to our neighbors? Yeah, we are, because we love God. We're following this book. This book trumps health orders. This book trumps man's laws. And when man's laws don't agree with this book, we go with this book. As long as, as, long as man's laws and God's book go together, we do our best to follow every law and every rule that we can. And that's how a Christian should live. But when you cross the line and you start telling people you can't sing when you go to church, I think the Bible says you got to sing to God. I think it's pretty clear. I don't think there's any other option. So I would rather just say, sorry, governor, I'm not listening to you. I'm going to listen to my God. You can't go to church. Sorry, I'm, not, I'm done listening to you. I'm going to listen to my God. Okay? At the end of the day, I'm going to stand before him in his judgment seat. I'm not going to stand before Sacramento. And if I do stand before Sacramento, I'd rather stand up for Jesus and do that. So my little thought here is, make sure you understand, you're supposed to love God, number one. Then you love your neighbor. 
say, well, why, how, why that order? Because get this, church, are you ready? If you don't love God and know God, you can't love your neighbor. That's how it works. You can't love your neighbor and not love God. You've got to love God with everything. How, what's my response to God's love? Love God with everything you have. Love your neighbor. Here's a good one. Love your enemies. We don't like that. How many, you know, think about it deep down inside. How many of you, those people that, you know, there's some people in life that just tick you off a little bit. You're supposed to love them. You love the Lord in response to his love for you. Remember Ephesians 4.32, be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. If God's forgiven you, you can forgive and you can love your enemy. The Bible tells us in Matthew 5, verse number 44, by saying to you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. How should we respond to God's love? Number four, refuse to seek love and cheap substitutes. Something that you'll see over and over again in the Bible, especially the Old Testament, you'll see how the Lord said about Israel, he called them adulterers and adulteresses. We studied it in James, New Testament, just two weeks ago on Sunday night. He said, ye adulterers and adulteresses. He wasn't talking to those who were cheating on their spouse in marriage. He was talking to those who were cheating on him. Church, may I just remind you of something? You cannot have it both ways. You cannot, the Bible says we cannot serve two masters. You're going to love the one, but you cannot do both. Bible tells us about Demas in 2 Timothy chapter number 4, verse number 10. For Demas hath forsaken me. Why? Having loved this present world and has departed in Thessalonica. Demas left, forsook Paul. Why? Because he just loved the, this world too much. And the Bible tells us in 2, um, 1 John 2, verse 15 and 16, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. That's what the Bible says. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You can't have them both. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. You can't love God in this world at the same time. It doesn't go. Now, don't, don't be dumb with me this morning, okay? I love the beach, so I can't love the beach. I love to go to the mountains, so I can't love the mountains. I can't love my family time, and I can't. Don't be dumb, okay? Don't love this world set up the way this world is ran. It goes contrary to everything that God is and does. Yes, he created this world for you to enjoy, the physical. We're talking about the setup of this world. Don't love it because what's in this world? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That doesn't come from God. It's of this world. What did Satan appeal to to Eve in the garden? The lust of the flesh. That fruit looks good, doesn't it? But the lust of the eyes. It even lo- it's not only does it, is it going to taste good, but it looks good. And you can be like God, the pride of life. How did Satan tempt Jesus? All three of those areas. Look at his temptation, all three of those areas. Satan's games haven't changed. They're still the same. But you cannot, we've got to be careful, refuse to seek love and cheap substitutes. Most of you in this room would say it would be wrong to cheat on your spouse in marriage. And it is wrong. You can call it an affair, it's called adultery, and it's wrong. But do we do the same thing with God? You're his child. But you love the things that go contrary to him. It's not how God intended it to be. Number five, his love compels us to tell others. His love compels us to tell others. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14 and verse number 20, for the love of Christ, it constrains me. And verse 20 tells us, now then we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. We're messengers. We're, we're his representatives because of what he's done in our life. And that's what we should be doing and telling others, hey, this is what God did in my life, and he'll do this in your life as well. And then as we close this morning, I want you to go with me to John 3, 16. Take your Bibles there. 
One of the problems we have in Christianity is that we just get a little too comfortable and a little too complacent. Or maybe a lot comfortable and a lot complacent. If God didn't give us another verse and only gave us John 3.16, and that's all we had for a Bible, it would be enough. It would be. Look at John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Just look at those words for a minute. How many of you could quote that verse? Let me see your hands. Most of the people in the room could quote that verse, or most of it. You get most. You get the gist of it. It's a verse you need to remember. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting. The verse begins with the word for, puts it in context what we're looking at. Go back up two verses to verse number 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his Son. You see that word for puts this in context? God's people in the Old Testament were not doing what God would have them do, and there was a plague that was set on them. And these serpents would bite them, and they would die from these serpents. And God had Moses place a, um, a serpent, a bronze serpent on a pole. You know the medical, the medical symbol today? That's where that comes from. That's where it comes from. What God had the people do is if they would look to the rod that Moses had, they could live. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, it was a solution for the people's problems. That's what Jesus was on the cross, a solution to the problems of mankind. We see that word for, the very next word, God. And that's where the Bible begins. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Everything starts with God, everything begins with him, and everything finishes with him. You've got to understand something. The sooner we realize that, that life is all about giving glory to God, not ourselves, the better our lives can be. It's not about you. It's not about, it's about him. But God so loved. He didn't just love, he so loved. Something I've done with all four of my kids, and I started at a young age with each of them, asked them this question. How much does daddy love you? And I start, when I do it, I start, does dad love you this much? Does dad love you this much? No. Does dad love you this much? I love you so much. That's what I tell them. The only one of my four children that gives me a hard time when I've done this with him is, is my three-year-old. He's a little sarcastic. I don't know where he gets that from. Probably his mother. I don't know. But to this day, I still ask him, how much does daddy love you? And this is his first response, this much. A little twerp. The other three didn't do that. It's only him that does that. But then he's, I've said, no, how much is dad? You love me this much, so much. And I teach them a little lesson that God loves them more than I ever could. God so loved. He didn't just love you. He so loved you. He didn't just love you this much. He didn't just love you this much or this much or this much. He loved you more. God so loved you that what did he do? He gave his very best for the worthless people that we are. He gave his very best for the ungodly, the weak, the sinners, and his enemies. That's how much he loves you today. He loves you. His love will never stop. He loves you so much that he gave his only begotten son. And 
gives every person that's ever lived the opportunity to believe in him and not perish, but have everlasting life. All people. He would have been willing to save Hitler. The Hitler didn't deserve it. They could have gotten saved before. I don't know. That's not my job. But he was, he was, he died for him. He wouldn't deserve, I've heard people, if someone murders someone, they're in prison. They can't get saved, can they? He loves them too. Because this is what we like to do. We like to categorize sin. This is the sin in my life. But God's okay with this sin. But this sin over here, someone commits, heaven forbid, God's not going to accept that. I understand something. Sin is sin. There's one sin that's unforgivable. It's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. That's the one sin that's unforgivable. You say, what is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? That's where there's conviction on your heart to get saved. And the Spirit of God's knocking, trying to get in, and you refuse him, and you refuse him, and you refuse him, and you never get saved. That's the only sin that's unforgivable because you rejected the Holy Spirit's tugging on your heart for salvation. You've got to remember, and you think about how that, all that works. We're dead, the Bible says. But the Holy Spirit knocks and he, he quickens us. And how can a dead person have any feeling? You can't. But God's still alive. It's amazing how God works. But it's all about his love. He loves you today. Church, he loves you. Maybe you just need to hear that today. He loves you. Who you are, where you're at, he loves you. His love will never stop. What an awesome God we serve. Have Caroline.